That's too many people out of country. You know what I mean? That's we're a small fellowship. That's too many gone. I'm expecting them all back next week. No. <laughs> Chapter nine of Revelation. Uh, the study of Revelation has uh, has been interesting to say the least. My dentist, who is a Christian man, he asked me, oh month or so back, maybe two months, he says, well, what, what are you teaching from, Pastor? And I said, Revelation. He says, oh, you're brave. Why? <laughs> uh, having been a student of God's Word, having the privilege of teaching God's Word, I do have to confess that the book of Revelation perhaps is the most difficult book to teach but it's also the most intriguing book. It's the most rewarding book. We're given a blessing if we just read the book of Revelation. And, and in many ways, the book of Revelation is like watching the entertainment channel on TV where they critique movies and, you know, sometimes novels. And have you ever noticed... I'm sure you have over the past decade or so, how the movies, how the theme of the movies center more and more around the paranormal, the the things that are outside of reason. And, you know, they love to delve into uh, the subject of angels, good and bad. Uh, they get into creatures that have uh, eternal being like werewolves and all this kind of thing. And as we progress through Revelation, these type of creatures, it seems like they're manifested here in the book of Revelation. So where do you think Hollywood and its uh, demented writers <laughs> and producers, where do you think they receive their inspiration? Could it be demonic? Silly me, I think so. <laughs> so we study Revelation. And the study of Revelation should scratch that itch of many people who desire to look into the, the spirit world, the paranormal. You know, those who find werewolves and things like that fascinating. And as Christians, we do know Satan is the master deceiver. Therefore, many of the movies and characters and creatures which resemble characters and creatures from the book of Revelation will come forward. The movie Ten Commandments. I don't know if I'll recognize Moses when I get to heaven because if he doesn't look like Charleston Heston, what am I going to do, you know? And we all know, all of us know, that Jesus had piercing blue eyes. We know this. Not really. <laughs> and the greatest deception, though, here's my point, always has an element of truth. And that element of truth hooks us into watching their evil interpretations. So as we study Revelation, don't cast that skeptical eye on Revelation like I cast upon 
movies that come out of Hollywood. Revelation is the word of God. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So always bear that in mind as we study this book. So let's begin with chapter 8. We're going to read the last verse of chapter 8 because I think it pertains to chapter 9. And we'll read the first 12 verses of chapter 9. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of these three angels who are about to sound. Chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpion of the earth have power. <clears throat> they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their head were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplate like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tail. Their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Verse 13 of chapter 8, it prepares us for what's coming in chapter 9. And we hear, woe, 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 or alas, alas, alas. And in, in this chapter 9, we go from environmental calamities to personages of calamity, creatures of calamity. The fifth sounding of the trumpet brings a star fallen from heaven in its past tense. This is a star that has already fell from heaven. And that leaves little doubt in my mind as to who this star is. It's none other than Satan. So in Isaiah, when you read, he, Lucifer, you have fallen. And it, it gives us a clue there. So Satan who at this time still has access to heaven. In the book of Job, chapter 1 tells us of Satan visitations before God 
accusing believers. Satan is there accusing Job. And it's interesting that John calls Satan a fallen star. It's also interesting that many of Satan's disciples are called rock stars. Oh, or Hollywood stars. Notice that Satan is given the key to the bottomless pit. Satan is under the control of God at all times in all situations. But he is given here particular authority for a set period of time to do harm. Just as he was given authority over Job in the book of Job. He could touch everything Job owned, but he couldn't touch Job. And then he's even allowed to touch Job with sores and sickness and that kind of thing. But he was never allowed to take Job's life. But Satan, he opens the bottomless pit. And there is only one place on this earth that is a bottomless pit. That's the center. That's the core of the earth where everything around you is up or out. That is the only truly bottomless pit. Chuck Smith and many Jewish scholars believe there is an abuso. Uh, an abuso is simply this shaft that runs to the center of the earth. I'm inclined to agree with that. These hordes of locusts are coming out of the abuso. They are demons loosed upon earth. And they're given instructions. And their instructions are, do not harm the grass. Now the grass has grown back after that first trumpet that we heard. So grass can grow back quick. We just had a rain last week and already my grass needs mowing. So grass can come back. And they're told not to harm any tree. But only men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead are they allowed to harm. These demon-like scorpions, like scorpions, not scorpions, they're given five months to harm, to torment men here on earth. These demons have been in prison, as Second Peter tells us, Second Peter 2.4, they've been delivered into chains of darkness, reserved for judgment, but now they are loose. These demons have had a long time to devise ways to torture man. And finally, they're given five months to torture man. But they cannot kill. They can only torture. Many people are prone to think death is an escape from an unpleasant circumstance or a life. That person is deceived. That is one of Satan's great deceptions upon mankind. That the hereafter will be better regardless. 
maybe. If you're a believer, it'll be better. If you're not a believer, it's going to be worse. A few years ago, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, before their Littleton, Colorado killing at Columbine High School, they made home movies of themselves depicting why they were going to go on their killing spree and why they were going to murder fellow students. Klebold, on the movie, is saying goodbye to his parents on videotape. And I quote him, I didn't like life too much. Just know I am going to a better place than here. What a deception foisted upon two unhappy, violent young men. Such a deception that they can commit murder as their last act here on earth and think they're going to a better place. But again, Satan is the master deceiver. These demons who ascend out of the pit, they're mingled with smoke, and from a great distance it appears as a great cloud of smoke, and these demons are intermingled in this smoke. What a visual image that must be. These hordes of locust-looking demons as they billow out of the earth and begin attacking man. They will torment men with a scorpion-type sting which is excruciatingly painful. These demons are torturing all of mankind, unbelievers as well. They torture all of humanity except those with God's seal upon their forehead. Have you ever noted the irony here? Demons torturing unbelieving enemies of God. Satan and his demons have no loyalty to those that are like themselves, enemies of God. That's part of Satan's great deception. Understand that locusts throughout scripture, scripture are agents of destruction. Joel 1.4 What the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the crawling locusts has eaten. And the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts has eaten. And there's more scriptures that support locusts as being agents of destruction. These demonic locusts, they have a king, a baron, or a polyon, and it's the same, same, just two different languages there. But it means, a baron or a polyon means destruction or torment. So for five months, these demonic creatures torture Man, now I have to say here, these are not Apache helicopters, okay? And I've heard some commentators try to relate it to weaponry of today. 
that breaks down real quick in my mind. Uh, five months of pain and torture, though, are delivered by these locust, scorpion, demonic beings. And uh, Hollywood will probably bring out a mo movie about this, or maybe they already have, and I don't know it, glorifying these beasts. Let's look at the rest of the chapter, verses 13 through 21. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared uh, for this hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works or of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It appears that these four angels of chapter 8 are not finished with their destruction and possibly these four angels mentioned are the same four. It really is not that critical to me. Verse 14, these four angels are released who have been bound, who have been constrained, and that has been constrained at a particular place, at the Euphrates River. And it's interesting that it notes the Euphrates River. It's a location of significance in Scripture. Much history is associated with the Euphrates River. It's a great river. The Euphrates was the boundaries of the old Roman Empire. The Euphrates flowed through ancient Babylon. The Euphrates, and it doesn't say like the Euphrates, so we have a location, the Euphrates. It's a specific location associated with these four angels who have a specific mission. Note these angels that have been released for a particular, certain, specific mission. The day, the month, the year. A specific time. And their mission is to kill one-third of mankind. The number of the army is 200 million. This army under the command of these four beings or angels 
Angels of Destruction, numbers 200 million. Some say, well, that was just a poetic way of saying that it was the number was so large nobody knew. No, no, it says 200 million. It gives us a specific number. And it's interesting, in the 1965, China boasted of having a military of 200 million soldiers. Maybe they did, and maybe they didn't, but they boasted of having an army of that size. But it's an interesting number of, of to boast of, you know, to say the least. Now, if we subtract one-fourth of humanity that has already been killed in chapter 6, verse 8, using today's population number, that leaves four to four and a half billion people. Now you take away a third of those people. Now the world's population is down to about one-half of what it was, or about three billion people. That means three billion have died. That is a lot of people. This 200 million army, whether demon or man, are grotesque. Listen to John's description. Horses mounted by being with red breastplates, blue and yellow. yellow. They're at least colorful, you know. <laughs> Uh, they have heads like lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And this is their method to kill mankind. So pick your poison. It really doesn't matter that much uh, far as end results go. This is either an army using ultra-modern weaponry, as described by John, or it's demons similar to the locusts that we just read about. I don't know which, and I don't think anybody really knows which. But verse 20, we have a conclusion. We have a summary of the hardness of man's heart. And this is where it gets personal. Mankind that hasn't been killed, this three billion people that remain alive have seen destruction beyond anything we will ever know. They've seen annihilation, they've seen death uh, beyond anything we can even imagine. So what is their reaction? Do they immediately repent? No, they don't. Do they beg God for forgiveness? No. Verse 20, let me paraphrase. But the rest of mankind did not repent of their works of their hand, their sinful activities, nor did they turn away from the worship of demons, nor did they turn away from idols of precious metal or gemstones, which happen to be international symbols of wealth. They stayed with their idols that cannot see, hear or walk. And the scriptures mention that. Idols which are dead. It's a sad state of affairs when the living begin to worship something that is dead. 
or has no life. Man will not turn away from his idols with no life. The living worshiping the unliving. That is the height of man's madness. Their behavior, their sinful deeds, which include murder, plural, sorceries, drug-induced, mood-altering, make-me-feel-good drugs, or sorceries. I can't even say the word, but anyway. We have millions of people today that are hooked on pain-relieving medication. And not only does it relieve the pain, it gives a euphoric feeling. When I was going through my kidney stone bout, <laughs> uh, kidney stones are quite painful. And they asked me, well, have you been experiencing any pain? I said, no. You only experience pain when you pass that stone, by the way. And this stone blocked my kidney. It wasn't passing, so I was not in pain. But they give me some drugs. And the nurse's instruction to me was don't take more than three all the time you use it. I said, why is that? She said, you will get hooked on them. I said, three pills and I'm hooked? She says, they will make you feel that good. I only ended up taking one, but anyway, and it did make me feel good. <laughs> I'm here to testify that was some kind of drugs. <laughs> but sorceries, drug-induced, pain-relieving, make-me-feel-good pills, you would be surprised how many people are hooked on those today. When, when you couple that with rampant sexual immorality and thefts, this world is going to be in a horrible mess. This fifth and sixth angels, they're messengers. They're beings of destruction. And they're not some horror movie where we go and watch it and eat our popcorn and drink our Pepsis and go away declaring, did you see the special effects of those locusts? Wow, were they something weird. And how about those scorpions with those big old tails? No, this is going to be real life. There is a sinister plot here. I think it's a ploy by Satan himself and his cohorts to desensitize man to deceive man about future calamities. I think that's one of the reasons we've been seeing so many movies that deal with werewolves, angels, spirits, aliens, all these different things that go beyond our imagination. It's to desensitize us to God's Word. And we hear terms like destruction, and death in biblical proportions. They always like to say that, don't they? Biblical proportions. And that is an attempt to cast scripture in the light of a horror movie or a bad novel. And without a doubt, the Great Tribulation is a time of God's wrath. 
But notice, notice what man's reaction is. Mankind who is experiencing all this death around them, all this destruction, mankind refuses to repent. Refuses to turn away from their demon idols and their idols of gold, silver, and so forth. A complete refusal to turn away from their sin. Therefore, our Lord and our God must bring judgment upon this world, and He does. And He does. So the word for us, be quick to repent. Don't harden your heart. Be quick to repent. When you look at the lives of King David and King Saul, back-to-back -back kings, David's sins were ever bit as grievous as Saul's. Well, what was the difference? David was quick to repent. Saul was quick to justify or make excuses. And you have the difference. One becomes that man that God says, a man after my own heart. The other is, is it would have been better if this man had never been born. So you have the two. Repentance is a good thing. We are allowed to change directions. The Holy Spirit works on our heart and He says, Don, quit doing that. And I have a choice. I can quit doing that and turn from it and follow God. That is a blessing. That is a blessing. Be quick to repent. I heard one guy say, I can't remember who it was, but that's not unusual. Anyway, it was a respected man. <laughs> he said, your spirituality, the gauge of your spirituality is how quick you repent after sinning. Do you delay or are you quick to repent? Do not harbor a hard heart, my friends. Turn to Jesus while that opportunity, while that door is open. Lest we be deceived like the three billion in the book of Revelation are deceived and they harden their heart when there's no hope around them. Let's pray. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, we, we thank You and we thank You, Jesus, for going to the cross and securing uh, our salvation. Thank You for the opportunity that we have to turn away from sin. And Lord, when Your Holy Spirit focuses Your light upon our life and we see our sins and we see our shortcomings, Lord, let us be quick to repent quick to turn from our ways that offend you, Lord. Let us be a people that are like David, quick to repent. And Lord, we want to be 
considered men and women after your own heart, those who will turn from our evil ways. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to show us where we fall short, continue to show us our sin, and then, Lord, deliver us from our sin. And we thank you so much that we have forgiveness in you, Jesus. What a blessing to stand here before you, Lord, this morning, this day, cleansed by your blood. And we thank you for that, Lord. So be with us. Watch over us. Take care of us, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.